So, so tell me why I was watching. Um, I think it was on Sunday. Tell me why I was watching the Kings and Orlando Magic game. First of all, the Kings they're not they're not making the playoffs, and they have no business being in the NBA bubble. <laughs> I saw this comment on Instagram um, while I was watching the game. Yeah, I think I think Sacramento was down like thirty. <laughs> Somebody said Luke Walton's about to get fired. <laughs> Luke Walton's about to get fired. Luke Walton. Luke. I mean, I mean, we all know why Luke Walton has. A, we know why he has a job. His dad, um, you know, NBA legend. His dad can pull strings, but Luke. Luke Walton should not have a job. <laughs> we should have listened to Lavar Ball. Luke Walton does not. He should not have a job. We he should not have a job. He's bad. <laughs> Somebody's I think it was Joe Button. Joe Button said Luke Warren's about to get fired. <laughs> Looking at the score, it was it was like seventy seven to forty seven. Sacramento was down thirty <laughs> to Orlando. Not like the Lakers, not the Bucks, not the Clippers, the Celtics. No, 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 no. They were down to Orlando by thirty. <laughs> Luke Warren's about to get fired. That was funny. That was that was funny, and I, I like I watched the first half of that game. Bad, I think. Like Sacramento, they were down twenty by the end of the first quarter. <laughs> they were down twenty by the end of the first quarter. But I did not. I did not come here to uh, talk about the Sacramento Kings <laughs> and their struggles and their poorly dysfunction dysfunctional roster and franchise that they have been. In the last few years, I did not come on to talk about that. Uh, we got a lot. We got a load of schedule today. Welcome back, everybody, to the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. Um, this is episode one forty-two. Episode one forty-two. Welcome back. Welcome back. I've been uh, all weekend. I've been watching NBA, <laughs> the NBA bubble. I mean, some, like most of the games that I've, like I'm not gonna sit around and watch. For example, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, a couple seconds ago. I'm not going to sit around and watch the Sacramento Kings play the Orlando Magic because Sacramento shouldn't be there in the first place. And Orlando is going to be a first-round exit. I think Orlando's the seventh seed or the eighth seed. Seventh or eighth seed. They're going to play against Toronto or Milwaukee. It's going to be a, a four-game sweep. A quick four-game sweep. Um, so, you know, we're going to talk about we got, we got a loaded schedule today, guys. We got a loaded schedule. And, um, so let's get into it. Um, I'm going to play this quick intro. in the building. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 142. Episode 142. <laughs> Better get a quick bar right there. Episode 142 of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Isaiah Kid Podcast. I had to turn the mic up a little bit. Turn me up. Turn me up. Turn me up in your headphones. <laughs> uh, but welcome back. I'm your humble and highly favored host of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. It's Isaiah Kid. Um... <clears throat> Episode 142, episode 142. 
Hope everybody is out there being healthy, uh, taking all the necessary, necessary precautions. I am. Uh, I've been watching a lot of basketball. I've been watching a lot of NBA basketball. I've been enjoying these games. I've been enjoying these games. So let's get into it. So <clears throat> the Rockets had a great weekend. And I'm not going to come in here and overreact. I'm not going to come on here and overreact. But I must say, I've been, I've been very critical of Russell, of Russell Westbrook. I used to call him, I, well, I call him on this podcast, we are famously known for calling Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook. But it has not been that type of, it has not been that type of stretch for Russell Westbrook. He has not been bricking. He's been actually efficient. And with the Rockets, <clears throat> they are very, they are uniquely built. And that, and that, I think I saw that as one of the positives to them going ultra small. Like they were already playing small ball, but now they have just taken the small ball to a whole nother level. And the other night, I watched them play Dallas and Milwaukee. Dallas, long team. Milwaukee, long team. Both of those teams have length. Both of those teams have length. At times, I saw six five James Harden guarding. 7-3, Kristaps Porzingis. I saw James Harden at times guarding 6-11, Giannis. I seen that. And I, I, when, I, when I see Houston play, um, and teams aren't really used to seeing this type of small ball, like a 6-7 guy, at, like they're not used to seeing this type of small ball and I think with this small ball lineup that the Rockets have made or this adjustment that they have made it, it doesn't make Harden the ultra decision making decision maker it doesn't make Russell Westbrook the ultimate second option this is a legit two-headed monster when the Rockets are playing this small ball when they had PJ Tucker Daniel House um, Robert Covington, Harden, and Westbrook on the floor. That is a ultra. That is a. That's an ultimate two-headed monster that the Rockets have. Um, and I want to talk about Westbrook because I I, I I criticize Westbrook a lot. And some of you guys think I hate Westbrook. I don't hate Westbrook. I always say this about Russell Westbrook. He is, I would pay top dollar for to pay to, to see him play. He's ultra dynamic. He's always gonna play with a hundred percent of the tank. Like some of these guys, you know, they don't some you know some nights they don't come to play. No, Russell Westbrook comes to play every night. That's one thing you can't say. He doesn't lack effort, but he does lack efficiency. And for a very long time, I got on Russell Westbrook about his efficiency, and that's how I came up with the name Russell Westbrook because he has a historically low three point percentage in the postseason. That's why I call him Russell Westbrook. But in the last 36 games, you notice something about Russell Westbrook? He's averaging, he's averaging 30-plus points, but his field goal percentage is going up, and his three-point attempts are going down. Huh. Wonder why is that? Yeah, I've been saying that for a long time now. I've been saying, please... Russell Westbrook, please stop shooting the threes. Stop shooting the threes. The three ball is not Russell's thing. And 
as he gets older, as he starts to age, he hasn't quite developed it yet. He hasn't he hasn't quite developed a three-point shot. It's very his three-point shot is very erratic. Some nights he has it, some nights he looks completely off. He looks as he looks as bad as a shooter as Ben Simmons when he shoots the three-point shots at time. But Russell Westbrook, these last 36 games, have been an MVP caliber player. Um, and I must admit, with this, like I said, when they go small, this is an ultimate two-headed monster that the Rockets have. In this 36-game stretch, who's the Rockets' best player? Is it Russell Westbrook or James Harden? Because I can make a really, really, really strong case that, it, that it's Russell Westbrook also. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out here. I'm gonna go out. I'm not gonna go on a limb and say it. I'm, no, I'm, I'm just gonna say it. This is the best version of Russell Westbrook that we have seen ever. This is the best version. This is the best version of Russell Westbrook that we have seen ever. I know he had. I know he has those years where he averaged a triple double. No, this is far more impressive. This is more impressive, and from a from a from a person that has really critiqued Russell Westbrook's game, this is far more better and far more um this is this this is this is far more better. This is better. This is better than him averaging a triple double. Yeah, it's a great stat, great record, so forth, so forth. Good good for him. But this right here, this Russell Westbrook, this version of Russell Westbrook <laughs> This is the best version we've seen. He's efficient. He's always on attack mode. He's getting to the rim. That's his best attribute offensively. Getting to the rim. Attacking the bucket. Using his athleticism. Showing how dynamic he is. And at that, and, 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 and in doing that, he's been efficient. That's the one thing that Russell Westbrook has struggled with. Efficiency. Even when he's getting the triple doubles, he wasn't always efficient with it. And lastly, the Rockets are winning. The the Rockets are winning because of it. The Rockets are winning basketball games because because of it. And they're not just beating on some scrub teams. No, 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 no. They beat the Dallas Mavericks. They, 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 They beat the Milwaukee Bucks on Sunday. They're winning. And with the triple double, with triple double Russ. It didn't always equal wins. Sometimes they would win, sometimes they would lose. But with this Russell Westbrook, with this version of Russell Westbrook, the Rockets look like a legit contender, I must say. And they're winning ball games. And surprisingly, I never thought I'd see the day where a Mike D'Antoni team would play defense. But in their two wins, their two major wins against the Mavericks. And against the Milwaukee Bucks, first the Dallas Mavericks are the most efi- are the most offensively efficient team in basketball. The first three quarters, Houston was not playing a lick of defense. I mean, Houston was not playing a lick of defense. It, I mean, th- I mean, the floor offensively in the first three quarters for the Dallas Mavericks, it was. It, I mean, the floor was more spread out than the Atlantic Ocean. It was more spread out than the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, I mean, I mean, everybody was just scoring layups, hitting threes, Luca doing what he wants, and then in the fourth quarter, 
They held Dallas to 20 points, ultimately, ultimately forcing the game into overtime. Overtime, they played great basketball. They played great offense and defense. Defense led to offense. The Rockets got over the hump, and they beat the Dallas Mavericks. Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have the best record in basketball. I don't think they're the best team in basketball, but they have the best record in basketball. They have, you know, y'all, you know, you, you some most of these NBA writers, they call Giannis the MVP. So he, they had their so-called MVP in Giannis. And then, you know, once again, what's new? Chris Middleton. <laughs> Chris Middleton had a, you know, play a, he played great in the first three quarters. In the fourth quarter, one for six. <laughs> One for six in the fourth quarter. That's classic Chris Middleton for you. Classic Chris Middleton for you. And that's why I'm very, that's why I'm still hesitant on the Bucks because it's fourth quarters like that where Chris Middleton just disappears. He just disappears. One for six in the fourth quarter. Giannis and the Bucks had 26 turnovers. Houston got the, Houston played defense. They were active on the defensive side of the ball, which led to offense. And them winning that basketball game. So when I look at that version of Houston, it's when I look at this small ball version of Houston, it's so uniquely different. It's very similar to Lamar Jackson and what the Baltimore Ravens did last year. Because with Lamar, he's so Lamar is so um, explosive, so elusive. He can make you miss, and he like it's not just about making you miss. He makes you look stupid. He makes he makes Pro Bowl linebackers, Pro Bowl safeties look stupid. He makes them look stupid. And it's so you can't simulate that. What Lamar Jackson does, you can't simulate that. You can't have you can't have no practice dummy to try to to try to attempt what Lamar Jackson does. Because you can't. You can't simulate that. You have to play him a couple times before you, you, before you you know what he's, before you know what it's like to slow down Lamar Jackson, or before you find the perfect game plan to slow down Lamar Jackson. But if you look, but I mean, look at Houston. You gotta. You, it's so they're, they're so small. They they don't they they shoot sixty three pointers a game. They don't care. They let it fly. Russell Westbrook is attacking the rim all the all the time, and even Harden. Harden struggled. In the four, he struggled all game against Milwaukee. He didn't have the best shooting night. He got in foul trouble, but in the fourth quarter, down the stretch, Harden made some critical defensive plays. And I and I, I must say, I was very shocked. I was sitting on my couch and I was very shocked. I was like, "Wow, James Harden making defensive plays like like they were legit defensive plays." He stripped Giannis. When, they, when the Rockets took the lead to, to go up 113 to 112, Harden stripped the ball from Giannis and, and went coast to coast and dished it off the rust book. And I was like, wow, Harden is playing defense. This is something new. That is what, that's what makes the Houston Rockets so uniquely different. That's what makes them a legit contender in the West. Um, they could, I, you know, they can, with this bubble, anything can happen. With this bubble situation, anything can happen. And with the way how Houston shoots threes, they don't care. They 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 shoot sixty of them. And Houston all year long has been streaky. They've had questionable losses. They've had some questionable losses. And even against the better teams in the league, they beat Milwaukee on Sunday. 
But early on the season, Milwaukee crushed Houston. They 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 they, they beat L. They beat the Lakers, but the Lakers in early in the season, the Lakers crushed Houston. They beat the Clippers. They split with the Clippers, but at times they look very streaky. So has Houston found their groove? Has Houston found their groove? I don't know. I'm not saying they're gonna win the title. I'm not saying they're gonna win the West. I'm not saying they're gonna get to the Western Conference Finals. But Houston looks legit, <laughs> and I don't. I, I'm not a. I'm not being a prisoner of a moment. I'm not having recency bias because this is over a stretch of 36 games, especially with Russell Westbrook, that we have seen efficient play. We've seen the Rockets pick it up at times. We've seen the Rockets have some really good wins. And it's the way how they're winning these games. They're winning these games. They, 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 like, against Dallas, they didn't play good in the first three quarters. But in the fourth quarter, they shut Dallas down. They played defense down the stretch. They got stops when they needed them, forced the game into overtime, and won the game. With Milwaukee, they forced a lot of turnovers. Chris Middleton did what Chris Middleton does against good teams in big moments. <laughs> he strikes under pressure, <laughs> which new. Uh, so, and, and, it, and it, they got stops on defense, which is surprising because a Mike D'Antoni team, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen very, very, that doesn't happen very often. But it happened with the Rockets. That is what I'm saying. I'm not saying they're going to beat the Lakers. I'm not saying they're going to get to the Western Conference Finals. I'm not saying they're going to win the championship. But they look very good, and they look very—they're interesting. Let's just say that. Let's put it like that. The Rockets are interesting. Okay, so let's let's shift gears to the NFL. Um, you know, COVID, NFL players are opting out, right? Players are opting out. <clears throat> Some players are opting out. Some teams have more than others. Some teams don't have no players opting out. Some other teams have two or three players opting out, and, and so forth. Um. Let's talk about the New England Patriots, okay? So, when Brady left, on this exact podcast, actually, <laughs> when Brady left, I told you guys, it was a great move by Brady. He's going to a better team. He's going to a better, he's going to a better roster, at least offensively. Offensively, he has better weapons around him. No doubt about it. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin... Uh, the O.J. Howard, Cameron Bright, Bright uh, O-line is solid. And then you add Gronkowski with LaShawn Le- Le- McCoy. Come on. Like, better offense, no doubt about it, and a really underrated defense with some big-time players on defense. I told you guys it was a good move for Brady. But I did, on the other hand, on the same note, I did say, Bel- Belichick does have a plan. Like, we, 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 we have prayed for the last 15 to 20 years. We have praised Bill Belichick. We have anointed his name. We have called him the most craftiest coach ever. We call him the greatest coach ever. But when we talk about how great he is, we often talk about, we often talk about him having a plan. We often talk about how he is more prepared than the rest of the coaches. It, we always talk about how 
he has so many things up his sleeve. We always talk about his preparation and how he prepares for games and how he has his teams ready for games. And, you know, that was, that's, often been a, that's often been a critique of mine towards Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin has the charisma. I love his media presence. I love that he's a player-friendly coach. I love that all about Mike Tomlin. But I think at certain times against the better coaches, like your Belichick's, your Andy Reid's, I think Mike Tomlin could be a little bit more detail-oriented. I think he lacks a little bit more. I think he lacks being. I think he, he lacks being detailed. But that's one thing, Belichick, and that's what that's what we have praised him about for these last I don't know 15, 20 years. We have talked about how detailed he is, how prepared he is, how much more prepared he is than other coaches around the league. That's why he has experienced so much success. Well, you guys just don't you don't you don't find it quite interesting that the Patriots have all these players opting out. All these players are opting out. I'm going to read you the list of players that the, that 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 had just that's left the Patriots. So they're even they they either signed with the new team or they're opting out due to COVID. Jamie Collins, Philip Dorsett, Patrick Chung, Kyle Van Noy, Stephen Guskowski, Dante Hightower, uh, Hightower, James De- 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 James De- Devlin, uh, Danny Shelton. Those that that's not that's nine productive players for New England Patriots. Also, Muhammad Sanu and Sony Michelle are on the pup list, and not to mention Devin McCourty. Devin McCourty is still on the he's still on the bubble. He's still on edge whether or not should he play or opt out. So and they and if the Patriots lose Devin McCourty, that's one of their that, I mean that's the that's probably like their second besides Stephon Gilmore, that's their second best secondary player. That's their second best secondary that's their second best player in their secondary. You guys just don't find it quite interesting that the pay, like you just you did you just think all of this is happening. You know, <laughs> you think this is all coincidental that all these productive players, these starters, Jamie Collins is a starter, Kyle Van Noy left, Patrick Chung is a starter, Dante Hightower is a starter, Danny Shelton is a starter, James Devlin is a fullback. A critical one for that system. Okay, so you have players opting out. A lot of players opting out. This, I think that's the eighth Patriot that has opted out. We have we have seven to eight Patriots that have opted out due to COVID. Then, you guys don't find it quite interesting that all the that 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 you know I don't I don't know I don't know maybe get I don't know. But you don't find it coincidental that, Bray, that, that that Belichick went out and signed Cam Newton as late as he did. Like Belichick had a Belichick had a plan, and you guys remember the media tried to keep you know remember these Patriot reporters, these Patriot writers, these Boston beat writers. Remember they keep trying. Remember remember when all these stories came out when they was like, oh Belichick loves Jerk Stidham, Belichick and, and Jerk Stidham. 
boy, oh boy, here comes a here comes a new era. Welcome to the Jared Stidham era. And all that time, all that time, writers and all these reporters for the Patriots tried to convince us that Jared Stidham was the next era. He was the next coming. Belichick went out and signed Cam Newton. So, players opting out, the Cam Newton signing. Cam Newton was on the market. He was on the, he was on the free agent market for months. If, if, if Cam Newton was really a part of Belichick's plan, why did Belichick take so long to sign him? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Patri- the, I, and I'm not saying the Patriots are tanking because I don't think they're tanking. I don't think the Patri- I don't think a team like the Patriots will tank. I don't think a coach like Bill Belichick will tank. But I find I think it's more of a restructure, a rebuild. It's not tanking. Uh, you know, I don't think I don't even think tanking works in football. Like to play with with li- the play with limited effort you could possibly get seriously hurt in football if you play with limited effort. And that's what tanking requires. That's what tanking requires. You have to play with limited effort with bad players. And I think in football, that's just too dangerous. I think you, you, can, you can easily get hurt like that. You can easily get hurt like that if you play with limited effort. So I don't think the Patriots are tanking. <laughs> but boy, oh boy, do the dots connect. Also... Um, the Patriots have an aging, expensive roster. What does this mean? You know what this means. Okay. The Patriots, to start off this, to start off this season, the Patriots didn't have the best offensive weapons. Let's just start right there. A lot of their best, a lot of their good players were on defense. But as I, you know, as I've read out the players... Some of those players, some of those good players that they had on defense are not playing for them this year. <laughs> Jamie Collins, Patrick Chung, Kyle Van Noy, Dante Howtile, there goes their linebacker duo. A lot of those good players are not suiting up for the Patriots on defense. So that leaves like guys like Stephon Gilmore, Devin, you know, Devin, you know, Devin McCourty. That that leaves guys like that. Those guys are aging and they're very expensive. They're becoming expensive. And what have we what 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 names have we been hearing on the trade block for the Patriots? If the Patriots get off to by week eight, if the Patriots are off to a bad start, Stephon Gilmore probably probably will be traded. Offensive offensive lineman Joe Tony probably will be traded if the Patriots get off to a bad start, which I'm assuming they probably will. With all of these players out, with all of these players, I mean, all of these notable and productive players either out or on the pup list or still undecided on whether, whether or not they're going to play, it is quite interesting. It is quite interesting. And please, for one second, do not think it's coincidental that all these things are lining up for the Patriots. Also, Belichick came out and said, 
Cam Newton's going to have to split snaps with Jerick Stidham. So you know what that means. Cam Newton, if, and I think he is going to be the week one starter. But even if he is the week one starter, let's see what Cam Newton has to work with. Or what he's working against, rather. Cam Newton doesn't have any, he has, no, he has nobody on offense that is explosive. He has nobody on offense that is explosive. He this is this is this this New England system offensively is very complicated to get down pat. So he has a new system with an expensive defense with no offensive productivity, no offensive weapons whatsoever in an imp- in, in, in an improving division with the Bills and the Dolphins. The Jets, they're, they're hot garbage. The Jets, the, the, the Jets are hot, hot garbage. Hot garbage. But in a, in, a, in a improving division with the Bills and Dolphins, no offensive weapons, <laughs> and an aging expensive defense, what kind of year does that sound like for Cam Newton? That is why I said a couple months. That's why I said last month, I said, please slow down on the Cam Newton expectations. Everybody started talking about Cam Newton, Cam Newton this, Cam Newton that. They, 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 they started talking about his MVP odds. Everybody was calling New England the third best team in the AFC. And I said, please, for one second, please slow down. These expectations are unrealistic. If Brady struggled with this offensive cast, if he struggled with this offensive cast, and with a guy like Cam Newton that's coming off of some serious injuries who, were, who most of us are questionable about, and it seems like the Patriots and Bill Belichick are simply rolling the dice on Cam Newton, and it's, he's a one-year rental, and he's not, he's not going to be there long-term, why are we putting these unrealistic expectations on Cam Newton? That's why I said my expectations for Cam Newton is not going to be as high as you guys. I'm not looking for Cam Newton to have an MVP type year. I'm not looking for Cam Newton to lead this ugly Patriots roster to 10 and 11 wins. I'm not looking for that. Uh, I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for Cam Newton to get the Patriots to the divisional round of the playoffs. Because I don't think it's possible. I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think he has a supporting cast to do it. And that is why I said my expectation for Cam is simply this. Try to stay healthy. Show some signs of consistency. Show some signs that you're locked in. And be productive as possible for your next opportunity and your next destination. (laughs) That's all I simply said. Those are my expectations for Cam Newton. But I look at this roster. I look at all what's happening. Players opting out. Brady leaving. The Cam Newton signing. The lack of faith that Bill Belichick has in Jerick Stidham. 
in an improving division. This is why I say New England is going to be a six or seven win team. They're going to be six and ten and seven or seven and nine. And by the way, we have three good quarterbacks coming out in the draft. You put the math together. You put the story together. You put the story together. An aging, an aging, expensive, an aging, expensive roster. So guys like Stephon Gilmore, if the Patriots get off to a bad start in the first seven or eight weeks, Stephon Gilmore probably will be moved. You don't think a championship contender or, or a playoff team will, will trade for the best man coverage cornerback in football? You don't think a Super Bowl, you don't think a Super Bowl contender or a playoff team would trade for Stephon Gilmore? You're certainly mistaken. You don't think a team in need of, of, of offensive line wouldn't trade for Joe Tooney? You're truly mistaken. The Patriots are going to trade those players. Those players are still. Stephon Gilmore is still the best corner in football. Joe Tooney is still. He's, he's, a, he's a really good offensive lineman. Belichick is going to get what they're worth. He's going to get what they're worth. And you know what that means. Belichick's going to have some draft picks. Belichick is going to have some draft picks to play with. And there's three good quarterbacks coming out in this year's draft. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. And if, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know Belichick's preference, but I like all three. And I think Belichick likes all three too. And I think that's what the Patriots are looking at. That's if you ask me though. That's, if you ask me, I think they're restructuring. I look at all these players opting out. I don't find that coincidental that all these productive players on both sides of the ball are opting out. You got dudes on the pup list. You got Devin McCourty, they're, they're, you know, the second best player in their secondary. He, he, he's contemplating whether or not he should play. Stephon Gilmore and Joe Thune are on the trading block. They're, they're, they're still, you can still get some great value for both of those players. You're not going to sit up here and tell me that all of those things are just happening so coincidental. All of these things are just happening so coincidentally. No, 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 no. Belichick has a plan. And if you didn't think he had a plan... You're sadly mistaken. You're sadly mistaken if you didn't think he had a plan. And I told you guys this back in what, April? I told you guys this back in April and May. When Brady, whatever, whenever Brady signed with Tampa Bay, I told you guys, it was a great move by Brady. <laughs> great move. Because he got better, he got he got a better offensive supporting cast. He got a defense, an underrated defense with some ballers in a warm weather city. But I also told you guys, Belichick does have a plan. I told you guys that. I told you guys that. He does have a plan. If you didn't, if you didn't believe me, shame on you. If you didn't think he had a plan, you're sadly mistaken. You're sadly mistaken.
<laughs> Your sad mistake if you didn't think Brady, if, if you didn't think Belichick had a plan. Okay, so let's go back to the association. Um, I like how they have games set up. I like how they have the, I like the bubble set up. Um, these get you know I know I know some people were worried about some players and fans, media members, so forth. I know they was worried about you know people was worried about the intensity, how these how these games be played, how they look. I think the intensity is out the roof. It depends on what game you're watching. Uh, if you're watching Orlando and Sacramento, <laughs> you're not getting much there. Um, but if you're looking at Portland and Celtics, I mean, the Celtics and Portland game on Sunday, I think that was, was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, that, that Milwaukee and Celtics game, phenomenal. The intensity is out the roof. It felt like a playoff game. It felt like an Eastern Conference Finals playoff game. Uh, the, 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 the Portland, the Port, I said Blazers and Celtics, that was a great game. That, the intensity was sky high. The intensity was sky high. I mean, Portland, they, and I must say, Portland, I must say, cause I came over here and I bashed Portland. I was like, there's no way on God's green earth that Portland's going to be, the, but Portland is a different team. Portland, Portland looked like a different team with Nurkic. I must admit with Carmelo Anthony, he's, he's a piece. He's a piece. That helps Portland. He, he's a, like he's a he's an impactful piece. He hits clutch shots. He hits big shots. He gives them some wing presence as a score. Defensively, he's shaky, but he's in shape. He's trying. He's hitting clutch shots. <laughs> he's a spot up. He's a good spot up shooter. Um, he's developed that. So I think you know Portland is a different team. Um, and that Celtics and Portland game was a great game. And that Houston and Milwaukee game was a good game. Um, so the intensity has been fine. But the one thing that I've been looking forward to with these games that I have yet, that I haven't quite got until last night, was Zion actually playing. Like, these first two games, the Pelicans weren't playing them much. He, you know, it, it, you know he, he had his little spurts. He just... Just when he was about to break a sweat and he started getting into the groove of the game, they they subbed him out. They 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 buzzed him out. And um I didn't I like I came on here last week on Friday, last Friday, and I said, It's not a good this is not a this this is not good right here. You can't you can't baby Zion through you can't baby Zion through this. Nobody nobody all I mean a lot of players are rusty. Jason Tatum, uh against the Bucks the other night. He had a bad, he had a poor shooting night. I think it was like two for 17, two for 18. He had a poor shooting night. A lot of these guys are rusty, especially a lot of these young guys. A lot of these young guys don't have the homes. Don't, they, have, they, they haven't bought homes yet. They're still renting out condos and, and, and homes. They haven't bought their home yet. So a lot of these players didn't have access to gyms and facilities and all these different training uh, work at workouts that that you know that like that these guys that these other guys like LeBron probably had guys weren't they weren't privy to that so a lot of these young guys a lot of these a lot of players period are going to be rusty and the rust by now should be off because we're a weekend you know you played a couple games you played a couple scrimmages played a couple regular season games you're going into the second week of the regular season games so the rust should start to work its way off but the Pelicans finally decided to play Zion more they played him 25 minutes last night and he had 23 points he had 23 points in 25 minutes he shot the ball well 
And as he always has done, he's been very impactful for the New Orleans Pelicans. And I said it. I said the Pelicans, I mean, you're, the, the NBA puts you in this, they put you in this, in this predicament for a reason. They want to see Zion. I get it. All-star, I mean, Brandon Ingram is an all-star player. I mean, and he played great. He played great last night. Along with Zion, Brandon Ingram played great. He made an array of shots. I think he's a really good player, and he's he's definitely a top candidate for most improved player of the year. Me, personally, I picked Tatum, but I would not be mad if you, and it's not a bad pick if you pick Brandon Ingram. But Zion is the most impactful and the most valuable Pelican. The Pelicans have all these good players. The Pelicans have a list of good players. Pretty good players, right? You know, Derek Favors, uh, Brandon Ingram, J.J. Redick, uh, Lonzo at times. Jackson Hayes is pretty pretty decent. You get it. The Pelicans have some good players. They have some solid players. They're, the Pelicans roster is better than the Memphis Grizzlies roster. How about I put it like that? With Zion on the floor, their offensive rating go up by three. Their offensive rating when Zion is off the floor is is 109. When he's on the floor, it's 112. Their net rating when Zion is off the floor is negative three. When he's on the floor, it, when he's on the floor, it's almost plus eight. It's almost plus eight. So you're, 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 with Zion, he's impactful. He's more. He's much more valuable. He's, he's the most impactful Pelican. He's the most invi- He's the most valuable Pelican. Brandon Ingram may very well be a better player right now, but he's not more impactful. He's not more valuable than Zion. He may be a better offensive player than Zion right now. Might be a better offensive scorer. Might be a better shooter and all that good stuff. But Zion is a more impactful player. Simple as that. Simple as that. More impactful player. And, you know, I, I, I picked Jordan to be the rookie of the year. I think he is going to be the rookie of the year because to have the Grizzlies in the eighth spot um, to start off with was a great accomplishment and a big accomplishment. And he's led this team really well. But... He goes to stats right here. When, when, when John Morant is off the floor, the Grizzlies, their offensive rating is 107.2. When he's on the floor, it's 107.5. So when he's on the floor, they're a little better than what they are when he's off the floor. And that's no shot to jaw. That's no that's no downplay to jaw. That's no slight to jaw. But I'm just trying to show you in in the comparison with Zion, John Moran, he's gonna win rookie of the year. And I think he should. But Zion may be more impactful. Zion may be more in may be more valuable than Ja. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Their net rating when he's off the floor, when Jaws off the floor, negative 2.4. When he's on the floor, it's still negative, but it's negative 0.7. So 
It's not a great, there's not, there's no great reach. There's no great, there's no, there's no upscale when he's on the floor. There's no tremendous upscale when he's on the floor in comparison to Zion. When Zion's on the floor, the Pelicans practically are a different team. They practically are a different team. And this is why I think it's important for Zion. You know, he's had injuries in high school. He's had injuries in college. He's had injuries in the preseason. He had an injury in the summer league. In order to, and I know, and I got on the Pelicans, and I got on Alvin Gentry uh, last week for not playing him enough. And I know you want to take all the necessary precautions. But it is a sign when you have injuries at all the levels. High school, college, summer league, preseason. And, you know, you got to get them back into shape right now. There is a sign. And that's why I think Zion could benefit from losing 20 to 30 pounds. I think he could benefit in order to stay healthy. I think he could benefit because all of that torque, all you know, jumping so high, coming down and landing in that torque, that may be too much for that body. Not may. It is going to be too much for that body. It's shown that it's too much for that body. Even with Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose was, I mean, electrifying. But even that was too much for his body. And Zion is two times bigger. I mean, he's almost two times bigger than, than Derrick Rose. But Zion definitely has it. And I think his impact can't be questioned. I think his impact can't be questioned. So, um, you know, the Raptors have surprised a lot of people this year. And I'm going to tell you why they haven't surprised me. First, Nick Nurse. Nick, Nick Nurse. I mean, I, I rave about Brad Stevens and how, and, you know, the, the, the job that he's done with the Celtics and with this young core. I've raved about him, and I often have said, I think Brad Stevens might be the best young coach in basketball. But I must say, what Nick Nurse is doing with the Raptors, and it's and, and, and by no means, I'm not saying the Raptors within their roster is not a good roster because it's good. It's a good roster, but what he's doing without Kawhi to have them in the same position that they were in. Last year, as far as seeding and record-wise, is absolutely remarkable. And the way how they play, the way how the the way how the Raptors play, it, it it's it's fluent basketball. I mean, they put on an absolute clinic, especially in this. They put on an absolute clinic against the Lakers. I mean, Anthony Davis disappeared. Anthony Davis disappeared. He disappeared. So, I must say, the Raptors, um, I think they are legit. I think, I wouldn't put it past them that they can beat Milwaukee. I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors beat Milwaukee again. Because, once again, Sunday, what, Sunday night, I saw, I saw Milwaukee, you know, Chris Middleton played a great first three quarters. I mean, Middleton, I mean, you could have made the argument that Middleton was the Bucks' best player in the first three quarters. The way how he was shooting the ball, he, he was so efficient. He picked his spot so well. 
But then when you look at it, it's like, well, in the fourth quarter, he disappeared. He went one for six. <laughs> he went one for six. And is his fourth quarters like that? Um, it, you know, the, the, uh, it, and with the Bucks, the role players are shaky. When I'm looking at the Raptors role players, they can hit big shots. I've seen, I seen Fred Van Vliet hit big shots. Kyle Lowry can hit big shots. I've seen these guys, Norman Powell. I've seen Norman Powell have his moments. I've seen it. I've seen it. I haven't seen Dante DiVincenzo have his moments. I've seen him have his moments at Villanova with Jay Wright in the March, in March Madness. But in the NBA, in the NBA playoffs, totally different. I haven't seen it. I, see, I haven't seen him do it. I haven't seen him do it yet. Chris Middleton. Hell, I haven't seen Chris Middleton do it. He's supposed to be the second best player on this team. That's why I don't put it past Toronto to get to the finals. I don't, get it, I don't put it past them. They got championship grit. They know what it takes to win. I trust their role players. They, they arguably have the best coach in basketball with Nick Nurse. Defensively, they're solid. They're deep. They have length. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah that's, that's what it takes. That's what it takes right there. That's what it takes. Now, speaking of finals and getting to the finals and winning championships and so forth, I want to talk about the Lakers. I want to talk about the Lakers. So, uh, Anthony Davis, you know, he had 42 <clears throat> against the Jazz last night. Absolute good, I mean, good performance. LeBron had 22-89. Uh, you know, LeBron's doing LeBron things. Anthony Davis, like I said on the previous podcast, phenomenal talent. Like, the, ta- the, t- the talent, the immense talent and the skills that he has, you can't deny it. Th- th- I mean, those are things that you just simply can't deny. I, I never said Anthony Davis is not talented. I even said, hell, I mean, the first three quarters of that Clippers game, he, he looked like the best player in, in, in he looked like the best player in basketball. The first three quarters of that Clippers game, he was aggressive, he asserted his will. And then with Utah last night, he dropped 42. And he did it against Rudy Gobert. <laughs> Rudy Gobert is no slouch. Rudy Gobert has won defensive player of the year. Rudy Gobert is a year in, year out defensive player of the year candidate. So, you know, you know, Rudy Gobert is no slouch on the defensive side of the ball. But it once again proves to me, Anthony Davis has what it takes as a talent. Never doubted that. What I doubt was, or what I doubt is, or what people have doubts, the notation around him in the league is, he lacks dog. He lacks dog. He has 10, he, he has 10 points in the fourth quarter. Against the Clippers. In their four meetings, in their four meetings against the Clippers, Anthony Davis has 10 points in the fourth quarters. In four fourth quarters. In four fourth quarters, he has 10 points combined. In four fourth quarters against the Clippers. So, yeah, I mean, it was great to see him do that against Utah. Utah's a, good, Utah's a playoff team, but Utah, I don't, th- they, I don't think they'll win a round because I don't, I don't see enough offensive firepower. They're missing Boban, Bo, Bo, uh, Boban Bonjanovic. So, like, they're, they're lacking some offensive firepower. But still, well, n- nevertheless, still a good, decent playoff team. But Anthony Davis, we know what he has to do. He has to score. He, he, he's got to pose his will on the Clippers. Because nobody on the Clippers can guard him. Nobody on the Clippers can defend him. 
They could throw body at, they they could throw bodies at them. They could throw Joe Noah. They can they could throw Zubots. They can throw uh, Montrezl Harrell. They can throw Marcus Morris. None of it won't work because Anthony Davis is too talented and too skilled. But I already addressed addressed Anthony Davis' notation around the league of him being soft, not wanting to play through injuries, and him lacking the dog. Him lacking that dog. I've addressed, I've addressed that already. But what I also want to talk about is the Lakers' third option. The Lakers' third option. When you look at championship contenders over the past, I don't know, 40 years, over the past 30 to 40 years, you look at championship contenders, and we always talk about these championship contenders' best two players. Like with Milwaukee, we always talk about Giannis and, and Middleton. With the Lakers, we always talk about uh, uh, AD and LeBron. With the Clippers, we talk about PG and Kawhi. We always talk about these, the, the best two players. But typically, we already know we're going to get from the best two players. With, the, with, that, with that Heat team, with LeBron and D-Wade, we already knew we were going to get from LeBron and D-Wade. But they had Chris Bosh as their third guy. And Chris Bosh is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Chris Bosh was one. It was a highly regarded high school player, a highly regarded college player, and turned out to be a really, really good player in the NBA. And is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You look at those Warrior teams that won championships. Steph Durant, phenomenal one and two tandem, but their third player was Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is arguably the second best shooter in basketball history. Klay Thompson is a great two-way guard. Klay Thompson is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Simple as that. When you look at, even if you look at the Raptors' third option last year, which was Kyle Lowry, we often got, we we often criticized, I mean, everybody criticized Kyle Lowry for his playoff failures in recent years. But Kyle Lowry... As the third option on the Raptors last year was really good. And he came up in big spots and hit big shots. Scrappy, uh, scrappy Philadelphia guard that plays defense, that plays defense, not afraid to risk his body, and, and, and occasionally can shoot and have some big time shots and show up in some big time moments. With the Lakers and their third option this year, you have Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma might be the most inconsistent Laker I have seen in the last 10 years. And I'm not kidding. He, one night, he has a game that he, dro- he, he, he drops 28. The next night, he plays against a crappy team like Orlando and Cleveland. He has like two points. You can't find him. He's nowhere to be found. Kyle Kuzma, we're talking about AD and how AD is going to impose his will, and he's going to have to do that against the Clippers, certainly against the Clippers, because they have no answer for him. But Kyle Kuzma is as important. He's going to be as impactful as that third option on the Lakers, because we know what LeBron's going to give us. And, you know, Anthony Davis... You know, the notation around him, yeah, he may he may he may lack some dog, but in his two in his two playoff runs, he's averaged thirty plus points. So we we know we're gonna get Anthony Davis. 
But his third option, do we know what we're going to get from Kyle Kuzma? Because some nights, he looks really good. He looks really good. Some nights, he looks really good. But some nights, it's like, is he the third option or the, or the fifth option? Like, which one is he? Because some nights, he just looks bad. And sometimes, he loses confidence. And when I look at prior NBA champions... The 2016 Cavs, those Warrior teams, the Raptors from last year, even those Heat teams with Chris Bosh and D. Wade and LeBron. The third option with Clay and Kyle Lowry and Chris Bosh and Kevin Love. Kevin Love was a perennial all-star. Kevin Love that year averaged 17 and 7. Kevin Love was a perennial all-star. What are you getting from Kyle Kuzma on a nightly basis in a playoff series in the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals? What are you getting from him? That's going to be a big question. So I made one error in my top 10 duo list. And I forgot to put, I forgot to put Russell Westbrook and James Harden uh, in my top 10 duo list. Uh, so, uh, excuse me for that mistake and error. Um, yeah, my bad. I just totally forgot. And I talk so well about them. And I've been so critical of Harden and Westbrook and the Houston Rockets. That even when I talk well of them, I still forget about them <laughs> in certain lists. But they are certainly within the top five duos within, the, within my list. With, with in concerns of the NBA bubble and its top duos. They're certainly top five. That's going to be the big question for the Lakers and their third option, and that's the question I didn't answer for Kyle Kuzma. Um, so let's, let's just, I got my best duos, my top 10 duos, my top 10 NBA duos in the NBA bubble. Because, um, you know, I, like I said, we talk about third option, talk about the two, best two players. So we're going to talk about duos. I'm going to rank my top 10 duos in the NBA bubble. Um, so let's start at 10. Um, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, I, you know, Utah, I don't think I, – I had high hopes for Utah. I thought they would – I thought they could be like a second-round team, you know, a team that can really uh, give fits to the Clippers or Lakers. But with no Bond with no Bond, with no Bondanovich, um, they, they lose some offensive – firepower they they lose offensive firepower and that that like that 20 points a game that he usually gives them it's lost um I don't think so I just don't think they have enough um like I think they're scared if they play Houston in the first round they, I don't think they have a shot against Houston because I think they can win a game maybe but or, or two but they I don't think they have enough offensive firepower to keep up with the likes of Houston or any other top-tier team in the Western Conference. I, I just don't think they have enough to compete. But the two duo itself, Donovan Mitchell, um, one of the best wing defend, one of the best wing players in basketball. Uh, I don't think he gets often enough credit at times, but he's won playoff series before. Rudy Gobert, as we all know, defensive player of the year, uh, candidate, he, the great defender, not really the best offensively, but a really good defender. But I think this duo is, I think it deserves to be at 10. Um, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So <clears throat> the Heat, they play tough and rough. I like them. I like 
I like their personnel. Now, I do think they're relying on a lot of young guys. They're relying on a lot of young guys. And I don't know how that fares in the playoffs, especially when you're going up against teams like Boston, Milwaukee, and Toronto. Teams that have been deep into the playoffs. Even Philadelphia. Uh, teams that have gone deep into the playoffs and have, have, and have had some type of success. I think it may, that, may, that, may do, that may be a downside to this young core that Miami has. But the two duo with Butler and Bam, Butler, Jimmy Butler, good two-way player. Outside of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and maybe Klay Thompson, Jimmy Butler is like right there as far as a two-way player. He brings it every night. The intensity is unquestioned. And the heat te- these Heat teams are going to play with a lot of intensity. They go out and they play. But, and then, but the, mo- the surprise is Bam. Bam on a bio. It, 6'9", 6'10", undersized center, can facilitate, has a handle. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league and is a candidate for most improved player of the year. Um, but I don't know how far this Heat team can really go when they have, from some, they, have, they have a lot of young guys that they are relying on. I don't know how far they can go, but I like how the way they play, and I like this duo. I think it deserves to be at 9 um, at eight, I would have Embiid and Simmons. Now, Embiid and Simmons are immensely talented, both of them. Simmons is a 6'10", uh, 6'10 guy with a handle that can facilitate, that has great vision with great finishing ability. We question his, his, the jump shot, the jump shot. That is what everybody is looking for, the jump shot, the jump shot, the jump shot, the consistent jumper with Ben Simmons. With Embiid, it's his health, but both of these guys are immensely talented. And B uh, reminds me of a modern-day Hakeem Olajuwon. Great post-game, good defender, um, good rebounder. But I don't know if they, like, as far as his health, his health hasn't been a problem as of late. But we know Embiid have, he has a lot of injuries. He, he, he comes with a lot of injuries and, and a lot of baggage. But I'm sh- not sure if Philly quite found the way like, has Philly found their style of play? What is Philly's style of play? Are they going to be an up-tempo team? Or are they going to be a team that slows down the pace and pound you inside? What is their style of play? And have they figured out the team chemistry? Because I've seen them play. They like they let like, like TJ Warren get 53. They let like Indiana Pacers without, without Sabonis, their all-star, win. I, I just don't know with Philadelphia. But... The duo and his talent is unquestionable, so that's why I have it at eight. Um, now, you could argue this, but I would have, the next duo I would have is Jokic and Jamal Murray. Now, Nikola Jokic, uh, he, 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 I get on him a lot because I don't think he, I don't like, before the pandemic, he wasn't in shape. He came back into the bubble. He looks skinnier. He looks more, much more smoother. Now, the thing with the Nuggets that is interesting, they have a lot of length. Uh, they have a lot of young guys, a lot of untapped young guys, a lot of talented young guys that we have not seen yet um, on in, in this type of spotlight. But with Jokic, he's been in the playoffs a couple times. I think this is this is going to be a better learning curve. I don't know how far they get. They're, I think they could possibly be a, they're, they're definitely a second-round team. But I don't know how, like, after that, I don't know if they can compete with the Lakers, with the Clip. I don't know. 
I don't know if they have a third option. See, third option is key. But I must say, Jamal Murray, I've seen more consistency. We got to see him in big spots, though. Um, the next duo I would have at six is Dame and CJ. Damian Leonard and CJ McCullough. I, th- these two, th- this backcourt, it's not a great defensive backcourt. But, boy, oh, boy, if this backcourt gets hot, you can wrap it up. When this when this backcourt gets hot with Dame and CJ McCollum, um, Dame is you know we always talk about Curry and how far he can shoot and his range, but Damian Leonard has just as good of a, like just as long as like his range is crazy. He pulls up from thirty five like it's nothing. Um, Damian Leonard is a walking thirty point bucket, uh, and I must say the Blazers like I said earlier I said this early in the pod I must say. The Blazers are, they're a different team with Nurk and, you know, with Melo being an impactful piece on the wing. They're a different team. And with CJ McCollum, I think he's one of the most underrated scoring guards in the league. Like I said, not, they're not great defensively, but offensively, they have a lot in their repertoire. They can get in their offensive bag, and when they get hot, you can wrap it up. Um, so I, that's why I have them at six. Now, at five, my next duo, it has to be Luka and Porzingis. I love the upside that this duo has. They're both young. They're both European players um, with, their, with their own styles. Porzingis has quite, he's shifted his style. Porzingis used to be a really good post player. Now, with Dallas, he's more of a stretch. He plays at the three-point line. But good defensively, and then with Luca, I mean, boy, boy, I think I, I've said it on countless occasions. I think Luca is the modern day. I think he's this generation's Larry Bird. If if Larry Bird played in this generation, if he played in today's game, he would look a lot. Well, it would look a lot like how Luca Doncic plays: step back threes, facilitating, being crafty, being very shifty. It looks, it looks like, and I must say. During the bubble, I mean, you know, during the pandemic, Luca Luca lost some weight, and he looks quicker. He looks more agile. He looks quicker. He doesn't look as fatigued. He doesn't look out of shape. He doesn't look as thick. Luca looks looks skinnier. He looks he looks a bit quicker on his feet, which I think is going to help. Um, but I but with this with this duo, I question the defense. Their defense, I question the Mavericks' defense, but with this duo and its talent and its upside, the upside is, is that I love this duo's upside. Out of the duos I named, I think this duo has the most upside. Because, I mean, look, they're both young. They're both European players. They're both, Western, they're both in the Western Conference and competing in the Western Conference and in the playoffs. Tremendous upside for these two. Uh, the next one, I'm going to have Giannis and Middleton. Uh, Middleton, you know, Giannis, we all know, is great. You know, 6'11", um, you know, steam train. He, he you know, we, he has to get more consistent with his jump shot. But Middleton is the question. Middleton is going to be the deciding factor whether or not the, the Milwaukee Bucks get to the finals and whether or not I think Giannis stays or he leaves and goes elsewhere. He's going to be the deciding factor of that. I mean, this duo, count they've had multiple playoff runs. They're going into another playoff run. They've had a lot of regular seasons, a lot of regular season success. 
They've won a lot of regular season games. They've gotten to all-star games, but they got to win playoff games. They got to they got to go deep in the playoffs. They got to get out of the Eastern Conference. They got to do these things. But I had this I had this duo in the top three. Um, my oh well in the top four. Apologies for that. Now in my in, at three I have Jason Tatum and Kimba Walker. Now I'm a bit worried some that Kimba Walker in this knee, apparent knee injury hasn't quite healed up yet. I'm worried some of that. But nevertheless, I think Kemba and Tatum, I think they could be at three. I'm, I don't have no problem with them being at three. Um, Tatum has, I, I, I said this on the podcast many times, Tatum is emerging into a superstar, a rising superstar. And I think with his emergence, it has, it has ultimately put the Celtics at, a leg, at like being a legit finals contender. So I have the Celtics in their duo with Kemba and Tatum at three, PG and Kawhi at two. PG and Kawhi, two best, the, the two best wing players in the league. At P- PG and Kawhi, the two best two-way players. They're two-way guys. They can both get it done on defense and offense. PG in his smooth offensive game. He's he's shooting the ball lights out. Um, in the bubble. Kawhi still got to find his rhythm, but the reigning Finals MVP, two-way player, um, the best, the best two-way player in basketball. He can get a stop and he can get a bucket. That's what the playoffs is about. And Kawhi, nobody does that better than Kawhi. And the second player that does that the best is Paul George. So obviously, the Clippers in their duo is number two, and then at number one as the best duo in the league. Got to put LeBron and Anthony Davis. The dynamic has worked out since day one. It did not take them very long to get adjusted to each other's games. Remember when D, remember when LeBron joined D-Wade and, and Bosh in Miami? And, uh, you know, it took, like, Miami, like, 20, 30 games to get their, you know, to get their groove and to find how they're going to play with each other. Well, it hasn't taken the, it hasn't taken LeBron and AD that long. It has, it, they, they worked out that quick. They they the first nineteen games they were seventeen and two. It worked out like that. It didn't take very long. It didn't take much for them to get adjusted to each other. With Anthony Davis' two way uh, ability, him playing defense, him being a defensive player of the year candidate, and then his immense talent on offense and the low block on the post game, him being able to stretch his stretch the floor. Crazy good. And then LeBron. I mean, what can we say about LeBron? He's the second greatest player of all time. Some of you guys think the greatest player of all time. I mean, you can't top that. <laughs> you can't top that. I don't think you can top that. You don't think you can top that. So those are my top 10 duos in the NBA that's in the bubble. My top 10 duos that's in the bubble. Top 10 duos in, in, in the bubble, those are those guys. Um, yeah, I, I think you can't I mean, you can go wrong with those guys. I mean, you can't. You can't. You truly can't go wrong with those guys. So that's going to wrap it up. Um, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the IKP. That's going to wrap this bad boy up. We had a good, we had a good pod today. We truly did. We had a great pod today. Um, I'm, 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 thank you guys for tuning in. Keep clicking. Keep spreading the word. Keep spreading this podcast. We are doing a great job. You guys are doing a great job of clicking, 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 spreading the podcast, spreading uh, this knowledge and this sport and this sports analysis. NBA bubble's doing good. Baseball season. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> but 
That's another conversation for another episode. And we'll be back on the next episode this week, Friday. I'll be back on. Uh, we got, we, you know, we got some great topics. We, we were stacked today. I had to eliminate some topics. Haven't done that in a while. So, you know, but thank you guys for tuning in. And once again, keep clicking, keep clicking. And always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out. Deuces. Peace. Gone, 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 gone.